Paso a Paso Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paso Paso Podcast. Very excited to be back with you again. Just when I thought around hitting episode 50 that I was losing some steam and I'm thinking, who else am I going to interview? Suddenly, bam, just like that, more ideas and more willing guests to share their knowledge and experience with all of us here. And we have another wonderful guest today who we have not heard from yet, which is important to me because I always want to bring you, the listeners, new information and new voices from our community. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, good morning, Miles. I am uh, I'm David Elliott. I'm the regional emergency manager for the New Mexico Region One Healthcare Coalition, which covers about ten New Mexico counties. Uh, I also work as the emergency manager for Holy Cross Medical Center here in Taos, uh, and I've been there for about six years. Um, in addition to some other um, community organizing and emergency management work that I do. Yeah, and that's already far more um, expansive than I was aware of. So thanks for clarifying all of that, and uh, really great to have you with us here, David. Um, you know, as a as a as a community member, from my perspective, outside of knowing you a bit personally, I kind of interpret you as being, as you mentioned, the emergency management guy for Holy Cross Hospital, uh, our regional hospital here in Taos. And um, it seems as though you have been doing uh, work in that capacity for years. Um, but with COVID coming, uh, it seemed to kind of put things in overdrive. And I, I, as I understand it, you were and are instrumental to uh, organizing the vaccination drives and, and things like that. Is that a good general synopsis of where you're at or am I incorrect in that? I think I think that's fair. I, I, I think an emergency manager is sort of a coordinator and a resource manager. And so definitely I, I'm, I'm a prime facilitator for a lot of this effort. Yeah. And today, something that we're going to address in the context of this early childhood podcast is COVID-19 and children. And of course, then as it expands to families in our community, um, and you are, uh, to my mind, you know, one of the primary people, as you mentioned, that I should reach out to to get your perspective on these things, given your role and being so close to the work at the hospital. Um, so something I thought we might start to talk about is what do we know about COVID and children uh, and, and or what have you been seeing? I, you know, Miles, I think I think that's a great question. And I, and I feel like there's an opportunity to sort of dispel some popular rumors about how COVID-19 affects young people. Uh, and, and I think one really important place to start plainly is that COVID-19 absolutely affects young people. Uh, we have in our own community seen people under the age of one, children under the age of one affected by COVID-19. And I, and I think that it's also important to share that COVID-19's effects uh, are really uh, not just expressed in terms of mortality, uh, which is, I think, something someone focuses on, which is a little intense. Um, but really, a, a, a better perspective might be on the long-term effects of COVID-19 on young people. What we're seeing, in addition to the effects of the pandemic itself on the mental health of children uh, being separated from their social circles and so on, uh, is that COVID-19 can seriously impact um, a, a, a young person's mental health and physical health. We refer to this as long-haul covid um, so the gist, Miles, is that COVID is not something that you want. It isn't something that you want anyone in your family to get. Uh, and the effects on young people, even if they don't die, uh, can be rather profound with anxiety and um, a lack of mental acuity and long-term respiratory complications and, and sort of feeling like you have a very bad cold for months or even years. Um, and, I, and I think that 
the sharing that the, the, the disease has a serious disease process um, that absolutely can affect um, our young people um, is, I think, something really serious that we ought to we ought to engage in. Yeah, thank you. And and it is important, as you mentioned, um, to think about the ways in which COVID doesn't just, as you said, end up in uh, mortality issues with respect to people passing away, but that there are symptoms that that can exist for a long time. I think in the in the popular media, it's been referred to as long COVID, as you mentioned there, um, a similar term, and uh, that can affect young children as well. It sounds like. Um, what are some things uh, that we should uh, keep in mind um, in an era right now? or a point in time here as we begin the month of October in 2021 as we speak, um, the uh, vaccine is not necessarily, as I know it to be, available to young children. I believe it's uh, those who are maybe is it 12 or 14 and up right now can receive it. But, uh, you know, given that kind of um, different availability, uh, how does that affect what prevention measures are possible right now for children and their families? Miles, I, th- I think that's a great question. Um, first of all, what we what we teach children in school is, to, is in, in science classes to follow a scientific method, where we think we have a valid hypothesis and we explore evidence. Well, what we're finding now is is that that same thing we're asking children to do, which is to be evidence driven, we are now more able to do in community, because the CDC and and, and organizations throughout the world are finally having had COVID. In, in the world long enough to get really good data. And what the data is saying first and foremost and conclusively uh, is that wearing masks in schools works. COVID safe practices in schools uh, can, can have three times as many, three times as effective. Those schools that ensure that adequate masking is happening, COVID safe practices, including distancing where possible, hand washing, surveillance testing, where those things are happening, they have dramatically better um, rates uh, of kids being safe with COVID-19. Now, uh, additionally, we can add sort of this idea of a seatbelt, right? If you're a car, um, then COVID vaccine is your seatbelt. It doesn't mean you can't drive recklessly anywhere you want to go. What it means is that if something happens that is challenging to your system, you've got a backup plan. right? People who are vaccinated have a very, very small chance of getting COVID. Uh, and they've got uh, uh, a small chance on top of that uh, of having to have a medical intervention should they get sick. Uh, they, they, an intervention where they'd have to go to the hospital, where they need to see a doctor, right? Um, so um, like a seatbelt in a car, you can drive through your community safely and, and you have this assurance that if something happens, you're protected. Well, right now, children uh, 12 years of age and up, so 12 to 18 are eligible for Pfizer vaccine. Um, And what we're going to see here at the end of October, uh, or maybe the first week or so of November, is that children down to to five years old um, will be eligible for the vaccine as well. Uh, And in Taos specifically, uh, a lot of plans are already moving um, through the Taos Community COVID Medical Task Force, uh, through the Enchanted Circle COAD, um, through different organizations to push the community uh, in the right direction on getting kids vaccinated. Uh, one one big leader uh, is Dr. V, um, working with working with young young children. Dr. V Real as well, working with young children. But we have to get that seatbelt on our young people. We have to give them that extra buffer because what we're going to see is that as community opens back up to young people even more than it is because some people are vaccinated. The same challenges that are happening in the rest of the community where we're mixing vaccinated 
and non-vaccinated people are going to come to the front with those young people again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as I think about that, I'm, I guess I'm imagining the point at which uh, would that possibly look like children not wearing masks at school? Is that the kind of period in which their their interactions might change, or, or how do you envision that shift over time? Just to get some I, visual I, context. I think we may get to a place eventually. Uh, we, 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 I would assume that we'd get to a place eventually where we would not have everyone wearing masks necessarily. One of the challenges is that, is that a school environment is a particularly protected space. You know, we have, we have children with functional and access needs, um, different belief sets. And the classroom, as you well know, Miles, has to be designed to protect all students. And so one of the challenges is um, that without very regular testing and a high amount of vaccinated students, we, have, we don't have a safe place for, 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 for kids uh, because we don't want to get kids sick at school. Uh, and so until we hit a very high vaccination rate for everybody who'd be in the room um, or have comprehensive testing or both, um, I, think, I think that people are hesitant to to allow a lack of masking because we know again that the science is out masking works yeah um, and that and 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 that's not a very difficult intervention as interventions go for most students there certainly are those students for whom that is a problem but um i, I don't i think that'll be the last thing to go yeah I, I i think i think we'll see bigger groups of students we may we may see uh shifts in how we work social distancing um we may see a shift in how events are scheduled before we might see changes in masking guidelines. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. Um, I've been thinking about it actually recently because I both participate in meetings, um, not unlike this one, that are through Zoom or online with adults, uh, most commonly currently. However, we have our children meeting in large groups together, and um, I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition as far as where we're at as a community. Um, and that's, I guess, more reasons to consider what you're sharing regarding prevention. And in some ways, uh, you know, looking into the terminology from the substance misuse community um harm reduction really like you said seat belts you know it sounds as though you're framing the the vaccine as a, as a harm reduction technique that helps prevent um young people from uh as you said giving them that extra layer i guess in, in a support for um the off chance that they were to receive uh and and have covid in their system um is this a good time or not just to briefly touch on um things uh that people uh fear about the vaccine i don't we don't need to spend too much time on it but one thing absolutely i'm happy to talk about it yeah you know i, I don't i don't want people to listen to this conversation on the radio especially here in taos where we have such mixed views on everything and people say oh they didn't talk about this you know but like for instance some things that i'll hear is well this is a new technology and um even before the fda thing you know that they're pushing it through and i guess it's the is it the mrna or that kind of process that allowed for it to be developed quickly um but what among the medical community obviously you represent that side of the discussion but you are a community member and hear all sides of it um what is, what is your thoughts on that sort of perspective that you know a either this is new and rushed and we don't know what the long-term outcomes are or b this is um I don't know. You know, it's just a lot for people. I think it's a lot for all of us to process. Right. So, so, so first of all, I, I have been working um, in and around government my whole life, right? I, 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 and, and, and there are unbelievably intelligent, kind, hardworking people in government in all places um, who, who really move along programs that, that keep folks living and succeeding in community. I, I, I also don't think that there is, there is um, an overabundance of concerted people who could hold down a conspiracy 
right? Any more than like the moon landing could be fake, right? <laughs> There's just not enough people who, who, who would keep that kind of a secret. Yeah. It's considering it would take tens or hundreds of thousands of people all keeping the same secret. Gotcha. Um, and, and that, and that, so, so, that, so it just doesn't sort of make sense on the surface. Um, that, that there would that there would be a, a wild conspiracy about this. Second, again, we need to do the same thing we're asking our children to do. We're asking our children to be in classrooms to learn about evidence-based decision-making. Mm. We're asking them to do that in their English classes and social studies classes, and especially their science classes. That's what we're telling them they're supposed to do in school. I think we should hold ourselves to the same standard. Right. And when literally half of the alive human population, something like three and a half billion people have gotten some type of COVID vaccine. Right. And and if people were dropping dead or getting sick from COVID vaccine, it would be everywhere. It would be all people would talk about is how dangerous and problematic the vaccine is. And it just simply isn't true. In fact, in almost every case, the vaccine is actually more effective for longer than we thought it was, uh, which which is astronomical. Mm. And specifically at the one thing we need vaccine to do in addition to save lives, uh, which is to save our hospital system Mm. by preventing severe illness. Uh, which is what the vaccine's really, really good at, right? Preventing the type of illness that gets you into a hospital. We don't overrun our local hospital system, you know, and that's, and that's the other challenge that we need to be super aware of is that on an average day, two critical patients at Holy Cross hospital is a lot of patients. Mm. That's about the capacity that we have during standard practices for people who would need a full code, right? Someone who'd been very badly hurt, Mm. right? There's, there's lots more capacity for people who need stitches or who are mildly ill or so on. Right. Um, So a huge numbers of people from the community all coming in with critical respiratory illness could create what's called a medical surge uh, and, and overwhelm our hospital system. And so, And that's bad for everybody. And again, there's no scenario in which if our hospital system is overwhelmed, that the rest of us would somehow be spared for that. There's no elites or or rich people or or one political party or another. It would shut down the whole community, would shut down the whole country. Mm. Uh, And so there really isn't any way to get to an argument where that would make sense. That the doctors and, and the leaders in our community and all of our medical people would get a vaccine that was somehow not safe. Mm. And after three and a half billion examples of people getting a vaccine, that we hadn't made our minds up yet on whether it was safe. Um, Similarly, we've had many women get vaccinated who were pregnant at the time. It was an unintentional thing that happened, but it certainly did happen. And really, we've we've shown that the vaccine is not affecting uh, even even infants. Mm. You know, people are being born just fine. Um, And so... um, the profound positive effects of this vaccine are obvious in as much as we're starting to see a decompression of the stresses um, in our hospital system. Um, and by approving it formally, the FDA, and then allowing these emergency use authorizations for booster doses and additional doses um, and younger and younger people, um, those are scientists. And if we're asking our kids to go to science class in elementary school and middle school and high school and apply those same techniques, again, I, I think it's pretty obvious that we should follow that same practice. Mm. Thanks. So, you know, uh, 
considering that you are, um, uh, you know, as associated with the hospital, aware of the processes and procedures that are available to the community at this time, uh, how would you direct uh, community members um, or inform them about availability of vaccines for family or otherwise? Um, I I know that it, they've always been pretty available in our community, and uh, there's different processes through which you can obtain them. Uh, what does that look like currently? Well, Miles, if it's okay, I, I can kind of cover um, what's available to everybody right now. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay, so so there's a number of different ways to get vaccine. Um, certainly, if you're not vaccinated, um, you can get vaccinated. You can walk into a commercial pharmacy like Walmart or, or Walgreens uh, or El Centro uh, and get, a vac- get your first vaccine, get your second vaccine. Um, and that's available in Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, which is also called the Janssen vaccine. If you are someone who uh, were to get COVID, even though you've been vaccinated, and that would be very dangerous. So if you're severely immunocompromised or have a very serious pre-existing condition, in other words, um, it, it, even mild illness might, might, might take your life, um, you're available for what's called an additional dose. An additional dose because it's a life-saving measure, is available Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. That's available right now. Uh, that's available on Wednesdays at Holy Cross Medical Center from 1 to 3. Uh, it's available uh, at El Centro. It's available through commercial pharmacies. Again, uh, you can sign up for that on vaccinenm.org, or you can just walk into many of those places. Booster doses, which are for people who are generally healthy, uh, but who may have uh, the same sort of work exposure that we saw in December of last year when people were first getting vaccinated. Uh, so healthcare workers, um, teachers, people like that. Uh, that's also a category for boosters. So we're going to see folks over 65, folks over 50 with a pre-existing medical condition, um, and people whose work sort of paints that picture. Those are booster doses. And that's only approved for, for Pfizer right now. Uh, people who have any sort of pre-existing medical condition or who are over 65, those people can get the shot right now, too. You can go get your booster dose. You can sign up on vaccinenm.org and get that shot right now. There will be a community site opening uh, somewhere in the community soon that will be coordinating between the Department of Health and Taos County to support that effort. Starting October 11th is when essential workers uh, in those categories I've described for a booster dose of Pfizer are going to be eligible. Now, Pfizer is the vaccine that was given out at the community vaccine site for the most part. So the majority of people in Taos County have a Pfizer dose. Um, We can anticipate that Moderna and Johnson & Johnson will also be approved through an emergency use authorization for a booster dose for those people that are otherwise healthy or in essential work um, sometime very soon. I bet what they're gonna do is get the five to 11 year olds approved first because they need to focus on that and that'll happen again closer to Halloween. And the next set of things they'll do is get other vaccines opened up for booster doses. Great, well, thank you so much, David. Appreciate your time and all the effort you put into uh, the health of our community. Um, and uh, we're you know wrapping up on our time here. Any last words? I, I think I think it's really exciting that we're trying to share um, some good information about about keeping our community safe with this effort. I think those people that have been vaccinated, some of them for six or seven months now, um, closer to eight months, they forget that there are still our, our youngest, most precious people still haven't had that chance yet. 
still haven't been able to, to feel that same sense of protection and safety. Uh, and we need to make sure we see this thing through. Um, that, that, that our community includes all of us or it doesn't include any of us. Um, and, and I think this vaccine effort is an opportunity to speak uh, as one community on this effort. All right. Thank you, David. You mentioned vaccinenm.org as a point of reference for people to sign up if they're interested in getting the vaccine or uh, information for their families. Uh, again, have a wonderful day and thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Paso a paso. <laughs> podcast. Hey.